Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Uh, Today is a special podcast because it's our one year pod anniversary. So we're very excited and happy about that. Um, It's been an amazing year for us both uh well in terms of our friendship um our sisterhood building the sisterhood uh with our secret group and yeah we both just feel really really grateful for the people that have listened that have reviewed it on uh itunes for us and also just sort of got in touch and 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 left us kind of messages saying how much it's helped and it's just been an overwhelming challenging at times year but um we're really, really grateful. So we've got one of our um, secret member groups with us today, a good sort of sober sister, um, the Sober Lionist, whose name is Laura. And today we're going to be talking about sobriety and mental health. It's obviously a, been a big part of our journey into sobriety and also for Laura. So um, before we start on Laura's story, we we'll just check in and say hi. So um, start with you, Laura. So hi, Laura. How are you? Hi, I'm I'm good, thank you. And you, Kate? Yeah, I'm I'm all right, thank you. Well, I'm not really, but <laughs> no, I am. I'm just. It's very. It, it's just very pertinent, I think, that we're talking about mental health and it being Mental Health Week because, you know, like oh, my awareness around it has really grown this year. Sort of talking to you, man. And Mm -hmm. also, you know, dealing with my family situation at the moment, this is, you know, suddenly we are dealing with with situations in the family and, you know, sort of from all the way from, you know, bereavement that that happened literally a week ago next week, a year ago next week. Um, So what that, you know, that kind of recovery from that, we've been, you know, I've got my son's sort of stuff at school and then for myself, what's really been apparent lately is resilience in mental health, that when you have a sustained situation without much, without any respite and proper support, suddenly how that can kind of affect your mental health. So it's it's been quite interesting. It's been like, I feel like I've had a bit of a mental health boot camp this year. <laughs> But not from the Iron Man, like the mental health Iron Man or something. But you know, so so I'm really kind of I'm all right, right? I'm miraculously I've kind of feel all right. I've kind of feel quite positive, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to kind of talk to both of you about journeys in this area and and the crossover with alcohol. So yeah, what about yeah, you? I think, how, how are you? Yeah, now? no, I was oh. just, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm really tired as normal, but um uh I'm I took a bit of a dip this week because I we'll talk about it probably more in a moment, but I read a report that was um published in by the Mental Health Foundation in 2006 um about the relationship between alcohol and mental health. And it just sort of explains everything that I've been talking about and I've felt in my own personal experience, you know, and this was sort of presented to the government to sort of say, you know, this 
a lot of the the social problems that are happening and a lot of the problems that are happening within you know alcohol you're you're directing your focus in the wrong place basically like it's not about delinquency and about um antisocial behavior and about binge drinking in young people you know what you should be looking at is um that british people use alcohol to cope with stressful situations mm-hmm. um that you know we as a nation um you know and living outside we've talked about this before me living outside for over 10 years i know that the french don't use alcohol in the same mm. way as the british do um and yeah it kind of it was it's great and it's really fired me but it it actually it made me feel really sad because i was like i you know i feel a bit let down i feel like mm. we as people are being let down because the information is out there that's saying you know like i'll just read you from the forward of the report like mm. one of the least explored but most fundamentally important factors in the mental health of the general population is our use of alcohol jeez there you go you know and it's, mm. it's just like okay like um so yeah i mean it, it feels fire in the belly and it feels good and i feel good to talk about it today but it feels pretty raw you know and it feels like um yeah we need to we need to push yeah harder you know for for getting this conversation on the table so i'm really pleased that laura you're you know willing and and here to talk about your own experiences with this yeah thank you Um, you're welcome so you know perhaps we'll start by you know talking about your decision to go alcohol free and 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 a little bit about your sober journey Mm -hmm. um so I think I knew probably from the age of about 21 that one day I was going to have to quit drinking forever. I was very aware of that, but that also really scared me. And I didn't know how I would ever navigate life without alcohol. So I kind of pushed it to the back of my mind. Um, But when we talk about mental health and drinking, now I look back and I'm ready to accept the facts I know I, I start. I grew up on the west coast of Scotland, and there wasn't much to do. Um, and drinking culture is always, you know, it's big in Scotland. So mm. I was drinking lots of vodka every weekend from the age of fourteen. Um, around about the same time, my mental health issues started. So I started having panic attacks, sort of almost agoraphobia, and a lot of social anxiety, and a lot of depression, um, self-harming behaviours eating disorder just really messed up at a young age um and I was referred to like child psychological services but nobody ever really asked the question you know are you drinking and if so how much it was just it was never the question was never asked um and then at university um the same I, I was drinking a lot and ended up having a bit of a breakdown I had to go home for a week or so and I was just in bed having constant panic attacks and um, that's when I was started on an antidepressant for the first time um, but again I remember the GP asking me at the time you know how much I was drinking and you know I'd said something like 60 plus units a week and she was she was horrified she said you know that's too much but it was never really mentioned again mm. and I don't think doctors ever really said you know drinking alcohol with antidepressants will stop them working, you know, Mm. largely. Um, So, yeah, 
that was sort of a big a big factor in the end for why I had to stop drinking. And I, I, I had to accept that um, the bouts of depression and anxiety that I were having was definitely a link um, between the amounts of alcohol. Um, and it was just getting to the point on Monday mornings after big binges at the weekends, I was just dripping in sweat. Um, my body was just physically crying out, you know, just stop doing this. I couldn't hold down a job. Um, I could just barely function through day-to-day life. And that, that in the end, I just realised when I turned 30, really, that something had to give and it had to be the drink. And um, obviously, you, you, you're you a mum, right? So you, you, had, you had your little boy when you were at university. So do you think, I mean, I'm sort of... Do you think that the fact there was any postnatal depression, do you think that that was a factor too that kind of upped things? Because I, what I seem to be noticing is that, the, you know, the, and what I'm reading is the more trauma there is, you know, the more layers there are of kind of, of difficulties and stress, then obviously the more um, weak our emotional and physical mental health is, and therefore the more we're kind of, searching for numbing out and mm. the more dependent we are getting and the more that alcohol problems sort of did you feel that 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 kind of yeah absolutely I mean I, I always thought that the the university days would be the worst of the drinking um and I used to work out in Ibiza as well and I thought that might be the worst but actually yeah after uni and suddenly I found myself a single parent of a five-month-old baby um living in the south of England, away from all my friends in the north, I was massively isolated. Um, and, yeah, I, I had postnatal depression, although I didn't realise it um, for about three years. Um, and on the weekends, um, my son would go and stay with his father and I would essentially just be on my own in my flat. And so, yeah, what did I do? I just got bottles of wine in and I just drank or met up with really you know, rubbish blokes off Tinder to spend the weekend drinking mm. with and going out with just to sort of try and fill this sort of hole in my soul. Um, so, yeah, that that was a, a new sort of form of um, drinking that I wasn't expecting, but it was, yeah, it was quite scary. Yeah, I mean, they say, don't know, that the, what is it, the um, the opposite of, addiction is connection you know and it's those those points of when you're lonely you know and I really resonate with that that's why I asked the question and I think that's why there is this conversation needed Mm. for mums and needed for um, carers that like you get into quite an isolated situation you know and you're cut off and things change from how what was quite an innocent binge drinking you know of your youth or whatever um to something that is much more kind of, um, yeah, lonely and mm. perhaps more detrimental, you know. Do you know, I really re- resonate with that because, I mean, we've talked uh, about motherhood and transition to motherhood being a really key time for us in terms of mental health and therefore accelerated drinking as well or a shift in drinking patterns and that isolation I really relate to because when my daughter was born we moved to a new town and I didn't know anyone and I had no support and I was really isolated my husband was working 
sort of wasn't getting home till about 11, 12 at night. He was working up in London. And um, I mean, I can remember that. I remember the shift and I remember the walls closing in and that sort of darkness and that sort of... Um, yeah, it, I would say it danced centre stage at that point and I was definitely using it, self-medicating with it. I think I was before, but I was managing yeah. uh, anxiety. I was managing an, an underlying mental health condition that I'd had since a teenager as well with in a kind of a package. So I, I'd do yoga and I'd make sure I was busy and I would drink. And, and it was sort of all, there were lots of different strands to distract, distract, distract and not think about things. And then I wouldn't go into anxious spirals, like nothing was actually fixed. It was just distract. And I think, again, that sort of suddenly being at home on my own and then the sort of self-hatred of the fact that you feel so guilty of being a bad mum and got drunk. And, mm. you know, uh, when they've been in bed and you're like, what if they needed to go to A&E? And, you know, it sort of gets really dark, doesn't it, at that point? I don't know. Yeah, and I I don't know how you felt about this, but I really struggled to even think that it would be possible to ask for help because you're sort of scared that if you present yourself as having a problem that your children will get taken away yeah. from you. Mm. Um, and I think the same with mental health issues as well. There's that that worry sometimes that you've got you've got to present yourself as being completely, mm. you know, competent and and there, otherwise you know, how will people judge you as a, as a mother? Yeah, well, that's, I think that's part of the shift, isn't it? Is because, you know, like, obviously I was managing my underlying mental health issues too, like as, as a young person, um, but it was only me, you know, so I was only doing damage to me and there was no one else involved. And mm. so then when you become a mother, you've got these all these other layers because, yeah, you've got the responsibility of the exterior and interior world you're living um, you've got that guilt, you've got that those emotional feelings that completely shift um, and like a lot of responsibility put on your yeah. shoulders. And, and, you know, you've got all these things that perhaps have not been looked at beforehand. Um, and so going back to this report that I've been reading and um, there's two things that really struck me. Um, the fact that... Um, that when you're drinking alcohol, it does in the short term relieve, you know, uh, the feelings of stress, um, anxiety, depression, you know, so it works on the serotonin levels or the dopamine levels in, in your brain. But the more you drink and the more that you use that, the less that your body produces its own chemicals you know neurotransmitters so therefore you become um not immune's not the word but you become tolerant to that level so you need to drink more in order mm. to get the same release effect mm. so the more that you drink so you know so there's that that you're upping your levels to get the same effect of mm. you know which is essentially last no more I think it's more than three minutes or something that initial feeling of <laughs> so you're having to drink more and more and more to get that feeling of you know release mm. but you're you're you know you're drinking something which has an addictive change change mechanism and so the more that you're doing that the more that you're drinking the more that you're becoming dependent 
you know, and these are things that like we don't, no one talks about what actually happens and or how you become sort of emotionally dependent or physically dependent on alcohol and how much that, as you say, like there might have been an underlying issue which was manageable, but the more that you lay on to that, mm. you know, in the women's experience, and I know for a lot of us has different traumas and different, and men too, has different traumas and different elements to it. The more that you're adding in, the less able you are to, to, to you know, to cope. Um, and I just find that really fascinating and, and massively, you know, upsetting, but, um, and, you know, this report is saying that there needs to be accessible help for people mm. so they don't to manage their stress essentially you know because it's not like stress is going away or depression or anxiety but what's happening is there's a cycle of alcohol being used to self-medicate which is leading to you know small mm. medium large uh alcohol use disorders mm. The other thing that I found really fascinating about this is that the World Health Organization talks about alcohol use disorder on a gradient scale, which is what we've been talking about. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so they talk about, you know, there's people that drink under the recommended limits, which is not that many people. And I need to find the right page now. Um, they categorize kind of people with alcohol use disorders into three categories so there's like harmful hazardous and dependent where is this so meaning that you know people can be drinking over the recommended amount of alcohol uh and it's harmful to them in terms of their mental health and in terms of their physical health but it's not hazardous and then if you go up a level, then they're drinking over the amount that, uh, that's recommended. It's hazardous, meaning that they could put themselves at risk or other people at risk. Um, and then you get to dependent drinking. So that's essentially, you know, what we've been talking about, this gray area, of like to the point of where, you know, you need physical intervention to help you stop drinking and to stop drinking like that can be dangerous and you need to do it with a doctor, you know, that kind of rock bottom um, dependent drinking. But there are these two other stages of people that are using alcohol in a disordered manner, but are getting no help whatsoever, you know, completely taken off the, off the, off the scale as a sense in, in getting help, which I find in, incredible. And I do think that there's a lot of people where it is, you know, mental health is is perhaps addressed or alcohol is addressed, but they're never addressed together, you know. And I was talking to, we're starting to work with a charity called um, Agenda, which is the Alliance for Women and Girls. And they were saying that um, what happens is women get passed from one place to the other, which is exactly what you're saying. It's like, you know, if they identify a mental health problem, that needs to be looked at, but they disregard alcohol. Or if they go for alcohol, they disregard mental health. Um, and so, yeah, I think, and, and what, what the studies are saying as well is that not only 
are those that are that have a clinical mental health problem better off not drinking alcohol at all but those that are drinking alcohol are at risk of developing mental health problems so so what what um i was going to say that what how i how has your mental health sort of improved since stopping drinking? Um, massively. Um, I mean, I still get the odd... I think the difference is now, if I get a dip, it will maybe last a few days rather than a few weeks. Um, because beforehand, it's just like, it's like pouring fuel on a fire, isn't it? You know, I'd get down and then I would start drinking um, the, all the wine and then um, yeah hang over do it again do it again and then my sort of my depression would last for maybe two three weeks mm. um, and in that time you've you know you've maybe missed work you've not shown up for things you've got yourself into such a spiral um, and, it, and it wasn't necessary in the end I've realized now that if I can just you know not drink and sit with the emotions do a lot of self-care and just kind of lie down and let it pass over mm. me um don't like I don't fight it anymore I accept it um and uh, yeah and yeah I, it goes away a lot quicker and I, I definitely don't go as, as low at all mm. it's made a That's huge really difference interesting and you and I when you said you know then there might have been missed work or this so then those are they will have their own negative impacts which will then impact mm. and, and drag you lower won't they? So yeah. it's not just the fact that, okay, I drank a bottle of wine, so I was not particularly absent, uh, present. It's actually then what the repercussions of those are to add to your mental, you know, to further deteriorate your mental health and self-esteem. Um, yeah, definitely. Mm. My self-esteem was rock bottom. Um, I don't think I realised how, how low it was until I quit drinking and started to rebuild and develop some self-esteem. Um, and I kind of realised, I was like, oh, this is what's been missing from my life, that mm. sense of actually approving or beginning to approve of who I am and not just hating myself mm. and feeling like life's just one big uphill struggle mm. and you're just constantly sliding back down the hill. So, mm. yeah. So how much do you think the alcohol impacts your mental health? I mean, you, it's, what I'm hearing is there's still elements there that need mm. to be managed... Yeah, um, I think I think it actually, you know, it's dangerous for me to drink alcohol and I, I wish I'd managed to um, choose sobriety sooner because I would have saved myself years of, of you know, emotional pain, really. Um, but I definitely think that it um, increased my anxiety a lot. Um, and it wouldn't just be for the day after drinking, it would be maybe for three, four days after I would wake up with that, dread that panic pit of the stomach you know mm. fear um and and just mood swings just you know really up and down um and that sort of craving for alcohol and then when I would have that hit that it the initial sort of boost that it gives you I could be quite hyper and quite un um unreliable you know mm. sometimes my mum would be like oh you know she's going on a bender and he wouldn't really know where it was going to end, really. Um, it's definitely, yeah, not not a good thing for me to be doing. No, no. And I think that's the, you know, we hear it all the time from people we talk to. And I, 
you know, I wrote a post about this the other day. Like, I had no idea. I had no idea how many people that were sober who had mental health issues, you know. And it was just a massive eye-opener, just like, oh, yeah, you know, I, you know, I take antidepressants or I go to therapy or, you know, it's just like, you know. Mm. And then you're starting to piece it all together. It's just like... Well, it, and, and then talking to people afterwards when they'd be like, yeah, I feel so much better. Like when, you know, we talked like baby K, K-O-B, um, mentality managed this, what else is she? Uh, uh, sober millennials, uh, you know, talking about her experience with anxiety. It's just like, it's, it's clear as day for people that have mental health issues. It's not going to go away, like, I'm, I still have depression, I still have hard days, I still have days where I'm extremely tired, you know, and and having PTSD, you know, like, I still have days where I'm affected physically by that, but I can cope, and I'm not basically housebound, as I, I was at, at some point, you know, um, not being able to make decisions about anything, like, I couldn't my my husband, I remember we went for a walk once and he was like, maybe we should, you should have cooking lessons. And I got really offended. I was like, fucking what are you talking about? And and he meant just because I, I literally, like I was crying because I couldn't make food. Like I didn't know what to cook for the family. Like I, I was incapable of making decisions. I go to the, a restaurant and be like, you know, I have no idea. I have no idea what I want to eat. Like, mm. I have no idea what I want to cook. I don't. I don't know what I want to wear. Like, I had no capacity to do any of that. And the, you know, and and all of that is better since mm. I stopped drinking. And my self esteem and confidence and all those things. Mm. I think as well for me, I um. It was sort of twofold. So it was the whole, the, the getting rid of a, a depressive substance that exacerbated my anxiety. And then it was getting the strategy, then therefore the necessity to put in strategies which were good habits and that would increase all of the wellness and mental health. And learning all about the, the toolkit, the sober toolkit, which I think is a life and mental health toolkit. Just little good routines, being mindful of like your triggers, like tired and mm. tiredness and energy levels. Um, and I mean, I, I it, it's it's bonkers, isn't it? I mean, but but at the same time, I am on an antidepressant. So, yeah, so am I. And, and so, so am for, I. for ages, <laughs> yeah, we're in the club. Um, <laughs> oh God, I was thinking about being pregnant then in that club. I'm like, no, 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 not that club. Not that club again, done that. Um, but yeah, so I think for ages, and and I think that. The kind of people that I meet as well on Sober Forum, sometimes I think give themselves a really hard time. I think you can find little camps that go, right, I'm going to be sober and now I'm going to live the sober experience and I'm not going to do anything like, you know, veganism and not having caffeine. And you and that sort of perfectionism can run through some sober forums. And so for me, I it was a massive hurdle for me to get over to say that I want was that I needed some antidepressants because I was like, mm. but I do yoga and I mindful and I've done a mindfulness course and I've studied the science of happiness, 
why am I still feeling shit? And that's what I said to the doctor in the end. I was like, see, he was like, well, do you do exercise? I was like, all right, how long have you got? I do this, 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 I do this. Oh, and I don't drink. And he was like, oh, okay, you know what? Nothing at all. No, no, don't do that either. And so, and I felt much better having an antidepressant. So, you know, and I think that there's certain shame sometimes that comes up in that. And so I see that a bit, you know, people saying they feel a bit bad about that. And I know I so I had to kind of, I don't know, get my head around it, you know, and just say, actually, this is the wise and compassionate and sensible thing to do. And there's no shame, you know, these are my brain chemicals. Um, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's just what it say. is. I mean, it's, it's like I haven't got like... a poorly tummy. I've got, you know, the brain chemicals are a bit like that. And, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So I think that multifaceted sort of approach, but alcohol being so so fundamental in that conversation because you can be you know doing the other stuff but if you're pouring you're self-medicating with alcohol and you're counteracting all the benefits of anything else then it's it's Mm. such a big part of the conversation it's insane that that report didn't make it through to the national press i know an article interestingly in 2006 for the daily express for the health pages basically saying that but from my perspective and I did it anonymously because the health editor was just like oh this is quite honest do you want to do it anonymously you know now I'd be like of course not you know there's no shame and I'm gonna but but that back then you know the thinking was just prehistoric around this wasn't it and the um so that I find that interesting that yeah that it never got talked about really it's not it's not linked enough is it it's not no. no, no. So what's in your sober self-care toolkit, Laura, you know, to help you in the, on the um, good days and the bad days? Mm. Well, I think like a lot of us, like when I was drinking, I thought I was a real extrovert. And when I stopped drinking, I realised I'm an introvert, oh, <laughs> massively. Yeah. And that I really do need time to myself quite often. Um, so my go-tos are hot baths, lavender baths, um and I just love an early night I just love to get clean sheets nice jammers on and getting I sometimes put my son to bed at half seven eight and then I'm into bed with my hot water bottle you can tell I'm single (laughs) (laughs) get a good book on the go and um yeah just get like a real good I know it's not for everyone but a good 10 hour sleep sometimes Mm, that if I'm having a bad day I just love that yeah Yeah. that's Um, self-care isn't it it's like yeah, 100%. I'm lucky that I can do that, really. Um, otherwise, I love a walk in the woods or by the sea, just like being out in nature. is something else that I've discovered that I really enjoy more than sitting in beer gardens. So. Yeah, with all the fag butts and the rancid mm. and the flies and the wasps. Like, I used to think, oh, I miss a beer garden. And when I went into one sober, I was like, oh, man, this is manky. Like, all the benches mm. are often just kind of a bit neglected aren't they as well and they've got lichen on them and then there's a fag but and I'm like oh I never used to notice those too busy trying to nick everybody else's fags and not notice yeah. that I was just surrounded by kind of shit <laughs> anyway. yeah yeah definitely so baths and a good night somebody uh, that I know called it something like I think it was like the tripod of kind of bliss and it was and, and it was a friend of mine's husband, bless him, he's only about 22, and he said that only about once every couple of years did this kind of tripod of happiness come together, and it was uh, clean sheets, having been bathed, 
and having clean pajamas for him. He was only about 22. I got love the millennials. And he was like, it's so great when all of those come together. I don't know why I don't do it more often than every two years. So, so he's only changing his sheets every two years. Yeah, just dirty boy. <laughs> dirty boy. Probably not now he's married. He's married to a good friend and she'll have sorted him out by now. <laughs> And so how do you think um how do you think your life has changed? I mean what what do you think the biggest area of sort of personal growth has been? Maybe not necessarily your mental health, but another part like since you stopped drinking. Or something um, you've learned about yourself. I've learned I think I've learned everything about myself since I stopped drinking. It has it really has, without sounding cheesy, it's just changed my entire life. Um, I feel like I've been asleep or stuck in a bad dream um, for years and I've finally woken up. And, yeah, so my self-esteem's growing. Um, I'm comfortable in my skin. Um, I can finally wear the clothes that I want to wear as opposed to what I think I should wear. Um, and... Um, my diet's changed for the better I've started I'm a bit late to the yoga club but I started doing yoga and absolutely love it um and then I just got on with doing things I've been putting off like um applying to go back to uni to do my master's in creative writing because I want to be an author and you know write magazines that's what I want to do and I got accepted so that's on the cards um and yeah I just I feel like life's beginning now Mm, yeah it's been amazing. really great to to watch your you know you blossoming and you know seeing you go out for a, riding your bike with your son mm. and um you know just sort of rediscovering all these things and you going to a meditation retreat you yeah. know it's, and and yeah I, I felt a lot of common kind of it's nice when you see someone sort of taking that that burst of growth that you know I can remember that like I can remember going for a bike ride with my son on a Sunday morning Mm. and just feeling so grateful and so blessed and just like and he was singing to himself um, and I was just like oh my god like you know do you know I was (laughs) watching um a Holly Whitaker it's Holly Whitaker yeah we always call it get confused between Holly Willoughby like from Philip Schofield and Holly Whitaker, who does Hips Brighty, they couldn't and be Laura, more different. Laura Willoughby, they <laughs> yeah. couldn't be more different. So anyway, I was watching um, Holly Whitaker um, talking about the Tempest on Instagram TV yeah. yesterday, and she's just such a cool girl. I really love her, and she's definitely been through like you know the mill and the struggles. And one thing she said, which really resonated with me, which I think you're, you know, I see what in what you're talking about and what we talk about is that she said that one of the kinds of the, the you know, you see the hashtag, we are the luckiest. And she said, I sort of feel lucky because we got to that point where there was a problem that had to be addressed. We were almost forced into this period of self necessary self growth and wellness, mm-hmm. which is such a gift, which everyone could benefit from which would make everyone feel so much better and that's why you get kind of so much kind of gratitude don't you for sobriety because it was like actually you know what if I hadn't struggled with that I might not have found this and this just is awesome and it makes you feel like you say it's not all amazing I've got loads of shit going on you have your down down days Mandy you know (laughs) god love you 
you have your own <laughs> stuff going on, don't you, love? We all do, but you know yeah. that that sort of fundamental crisis almost has led to such growth and wellness potential, you know, for us. I don't know. Yeah, that's where the uh, we are the luckiest. Yeah, that's what uh, I was hashtag saying. We are the luckiest. From, yeah. yeah, and I it's don't think I think you just think that was mental. If you were just kind of never had had, you know that uh, the journey like that you'd probably go what are you going on about the luckiest but you do yeah. well I think it's, it depends on how you how you view sobriety like if you're still which I did many times when you're white knuckling it and you're feel deprived and you feel like you know you miss alcohol and, and until you get that click where yeah. you realize that alcohol does nothing but harm yeah. to you then and when you realize free, that your yeah. life yeah. is yeah better without alcohol and they're full of possibilities um then that's when you get the gratitude and you realize like oh my goodness like thank god I don't drink and and when you have bad days and bad stuff's happening you know unfortunately a friend of mine uh it's not very well in hospital in the states and you know like you get bad days and and you just think like I just think thank god you know I'm not in that pain anymore you know um so yeah i just wanted to another... read this oh go on. sorry that was from <laughs> stop going on about your report but um i just wanted to read this <laughs> um, mood mental health and alcohol self-medication is not a concept that can only be applied to people with diagnosed mental health problems and is in fact a useful way to describe many of the reasons we drink Little has been said in public policy documents about the way the general population relies on alcohol, mm. a legally available drug as a, mo- as a mood-altering substance that is used to mask other problems or to deal with emotions. Alcohol is a to- toxic substance in terms of its direct and indirect effects on the chemistry of the brain and other body organs and systems. The initial impact of a drink that... W- that winding down or relaxing feeling is a reflection of almost immediate chemical changes occurring in the brain's nerve cells, neurons, in response to alcohol. As more alcohol is consumed, increasingly sensitive parts of the brain become affected and behavior changes accordingly. The first drink for many people, although not all, depresses the parts of the brain that are associated with inhibition increasing talking and self-confidence and reducing social anxiety. As more alcohol enters the bloodstream, the areas of the brain associated with emotions and movement are affected and often resulting in exaggerated states of emotion, anger, withdrawal, depression or aggressiveness and uncoordinated muscle movements. Alcohol then depresses the nervous centres in the area that controls uh, sexual arousal and performance. (laughs) So I'll do that bit at the end. But um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, that was so British of you. Like, oh, they flinched the... Oh. <laughs> Been a bit of la-di-dar at the end there. Goodness me. Um, <laughs> but in general, I just think that's fascinating. And that just sums up for me, you know, that... And I watched this um, video about children growing up with parents that drink alcohol and how much they see of us using it Mm. as a mood changer like you know celebration like you know congratulations you've kind of graduated let's have a glass of wine like Mm. oh you had a bad you know a bad situation let's have you know a glass of wine and 
Um, what I've learned is most things can be um, dealt with with a cup of tea. And that's very British. But, you know, we've tea has got us through most yep. uh, stressful situations. I'd say most historical kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, so there is that need for strategies. Like, you know, it's not like you just wake up one day and you, you're sober or, or, you know, it's not like you, you can go out into the world and go, yeah, like, just stop drinking and... Mm. and everything will be fine like these emotions do exist like to celebrate or Mm. to commiserate or you know when you you are feeling pain but there are better ways and better strategies Mm. uh and non-addictive strategies that you can use um it's like to um, to change your mood it's like rupaul said rupaul went girl i have had enough um but you better have the toolkit I think it was something like I've horribly misquoted RuPaul on that, but when it was about him being sober, her being sober for ages, then, yeah, he said that you've, this life is, like, it's full of shit, so you better off the toolkit. And I was like, girl, I wish I could go out with RuPaul for a night. God, how good that yeah. would be, wouldn't it? So when we go on our, like, sober retreats and stuff, should we just send, try and invite RuPaul along? <laughs> or we could just dress up in drag. There's nothing wrong with that, is it? <laughs> sorry, I'm off beast. I'm sorry, I'm off topic. Going back to mental health. Health, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it's finding yeah. what brings you joy, though, isn't it? And yes. how to cope in other in other ways. Um, yeah. And and there are other ways, and I think that's what people are so scared of, and I was so scared. Mm. But also what was a massive indicator for me and understanding that I used, I had a disordered way of using alcohol Mm. was that, you know, if I, and I think I've said this before, if I thought of the worst thing happening, you know, um, my first instinct would be to get absolutely shit faced, Mm. you know, that, that would be my, that would be my way of dealing with a trauma or, or, you know, a hard time. And I, that doesn't, that stops, that keeps me sober in one way. Um, but it also like, it doesn't stop me dealing with bad shit that happens, you know? I mean, yeah, this year we've had so much kind of stuff, you know, but being sober makes it manageable manageable that's the thing that's what I was going to say just quickly Laura because I know that it's this your interview and that we've ended up talking loads that's okay (laughs) you know that that kind of resilient you know that from the outside I know some people you can look at it like oh gosh you're so strong to be getting through this particular time without drinking you know but from my perspective um and I remember a friend quite a few years ago doing, doing that. I was thinking, how has she not caved, you know? And um, mm-hmm. But I'm like, this is like absolutely, sobriety is my anchor, my rock, my wellness practices are my resilience. They're my absolute fortress. They're the, they're the things that I've got to get me through when things are tough. You know, that, that sort of, um, you know, resilience and mental health tools because... You know, like I've had a, another situation today that was really difficult. I've had to be really flexible, be the rapid response unit, deal with a big disappointment, phone certain agencies, deal with school. And 
I find myself laughing about RuPaul with you two, and that's like, come on, that's that's. I wouldn't be doing that if I wasn't sober. I just wouldn't. I'd have probably just wanted a glass of wine by such and such a clock, and then I'd be maudlin, and then I'd be hungover, I'd be unable to cope. So, you know, thank God for it. It's like not a, mm. you know, I just, it's it, it it's absolutely fundamental to my mental health to not drink and my well-being. It's like the number one, you know, it informs everything else. So, yeah. Anyway... Um, we should probably wrap up, shouldn't we? Because we're on to forty-five minutes. But um, so, what what are your reasons to love sober, Laura? Um, my reason to love sober is because it just feels like the gift that keeps on giving. I think oh. every day, every week, every month, there's something new that comes up. Whether it's a new friend, or a new hobby that I discover, or just a new perspective, um, or seeing that like a physical change. Um, yeah, it's there's just constantly new stuff coming up and that's just so motivating. Oh, that's lovely. And so if you had any tips for people sort of starting out, what would be your, your tip of the day or, or where did you look for help when you, you first started out? Um, for me personally, I think the main things that helped me was I created an Instagram account which kept me accountable and it got me talking to people um yeah being part of a sober community is Mm. key I think you know being able to just talk and have someone there if you're having a bad day and you never feel alone then um journaling I think at night just keeping some sort of diary just to do that sort of brain dump at the end of the day before you go to sleep um and also then you can read back and really see how far you've come you know Mm. even in a space of weeks you can just suddenly see the change um and yeah, not putting too much pressure on yourself in the early days. I think so many people, including myself, trying to cut out sugar and chocolate mm-hmm. and things. And, you know, people said to me, just just let yourself have the chocolate. And after a couple of months, it did drop off yeah. on its own. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just like, yeah, loads of self-care and compassion. And yeah. Taking it easy on yourself, really. Oh, I love it. I think those are great tips. I really agree about the kind of the chocolate and the... I loved what you said just going back to um, letting things be and letting things pass because I think that is Mm. something where, you know, well, you know, maybe we drank to, uh, you know, self-medicate or to try and change your state. It was very reactive, wasn't it? It's like, I feel like this, so then I'm going to do this. And then I was kind of after that thinking, right, I've I've got to do, I've got to fix, I'm a compulsive fixer. And learning Mm. to sit, just let things... I remember someone saying, "Just sit, sit, watch the storm blow in, and watch the storm blow out." That that's sometimes the most powerful, mm. beautiful thing to be able to do, yeah, isn't it? It's like it is. Yeah. It's just gonna, it's just gonna pass, and let's just let it blow through. And um, yeah, yeah. So. I think that's why they called uh, going back to hip sobriety and, and Holly. I think that's why they changed the name to Tempest because that's it's it. about facing the facing the storm. Ah. Yeah. That we face the storm. I wondered that because I thought it might be about the fact that hip was like a hip kind of, it was racist or something. You know, went back to Um, the 70s Afro-American culture and it was not not PC or something. There there is an element that she wanted... (laughs) (laughs) There is an element that she wanted to move away from, you know, being cool or being Uh, you know ahead of time or it being something that you know because at the beginning I think she really wanted to set it aside of like this is 
in, innovative and new and, and she and wanted positive, to move away from, yeah, positive. from that yeah mm. Um, yeah. So that's why she wanted to change the name. But uh, the name that they chose was because it's more that thing of you, you stand against the storm yeah. and you make yeah. it and you make it through. You know. So. I like that. Mm, I did not know. I like it. It was in the video, so you clearly listened. Uh... I didn't listen to the end, did I? Maybe I skipped. <laughs> I was thinking I got distracted because I was like, oh, I might, I might have my hair done like her because it was really nice. And like, I was like, oh, I like her blouse with her jacket. You know, like a proper girl. Like, hang on, what she said, she said something really interesting about recovery. And then I was like... Yeah, and then I was like, and there was this fan girling. Uh, yeah, I know. And there was like that balloon in the background that said sober, and it was like a silver yeah. balloon that said sober. I was like, oh, I want. I must Google where that comes from and do a bit shopping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I know how your uh, mind works. I know. Like, I bet she yeah, saw that balloon shallow. and got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> so we should wrap up now, um, Laura. Thank yeah. you so much for for talking and sharing your story and. Yeah, there's sort of that really important insights and, and how that you know things connect up our mental health, which we feel really strongly about, and how that connects with alcohol. You know, so really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, do reach out for support. Um, uh, alcohol change, change for alcohol, alcohol awareness. Alcohol change. Alcohol change. Thank you. I get it wrong every single week. Has um, agencies of local support and obviously um, GP. Just, I mean, there's a lot of help out there to so just make sure that you are, you know, reaching out, not getting isolated, and trying to find and connect with with things that can help. Um, there's also so Breasters that has the anonymous after doctor service. Um, so have a good week and stay safe, everyone. And we'll see you next week for more chat. Oh. We didn't mention, did we? It's our first birthday. Did we mention that? Yeah, yeah we yeah, mentioned that. We've done that. All right. Yeah, see you next week for more chat. Bye.